Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt, slashing your taxes, and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, who has a vast collection of vintage DC and Marvel comic books, and ironically lives in Minnesota, where his favorite NBA team, the LA Lakers, originated, Dave Denniston. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping doctors like you slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. I have the honor of having with me here today a physician to share about his journey, his struggles in medicine, out of medicine. This gentleman, he started out in a small town on the Pickney Bend of the Missouri River in 1994, hanging out a shingle, and then combined his practice with other people that um, they then sold to their practices to a regional health system for $132 million. And now he's transitioning into a second career of helping patients and clinicians, and I'm really gonna enjoy hearing about his journey. Please help me welcome Dr. Tom Davis. Welcome to the podcast, Tom. Thank you for having me, David. It's a privilege to be here. Well, give me a, a snapshot, Tom, a little bit about your, your journey and, and um, your life. So let's start just start back from the beginning. Where did you grow up? So I grew, out, grew up outside of uh, St. Louis, Missouri, in Missouri, born and bred. And uh, uh, my family was taken care of by the same family doctor, all, all my brothers and sisters, and, and uh, it was really who I wanted to emulate growing up. So uh, I did the traditional pre-med medicine. I took a little detour to see if I wanted to be a scientist and got a master's degree, and so I didn't want to do that. And uh, really just uh, uh, went to uh, medical school uh, and uh, residency in Missouri and uh, which has the has the best family medicine residency in the country and it came out in 1994 a third of the million dollars in debt completely ignorant of the value that i brought and uh basically stumbling around looking for a way to live the life that i wanted to live uh with all the baggage that i was carrying so wa walk me back through growing up around st louis uh, what what did your parents do for a living uh, my father sold tile, and uh, my mother stayed at home with us. And once we were all out of the house, she became a travel agent. Um, so uh, uh, I'm the youngest of five kids, and uh, got to learn a lot from watching uh, watching the challenges that my uh, that my brothers and sisters faced. So tell me about the the journey to being a physician. You know, it sounds like you didn't come from doctors, no. uh, a family of doctors. You know, why why medicine for you? Well, Dr. John V. King, I mean, uh, he was a family doctor out here and he delivered all of us and uh, he took care of all of us. And uh, really, uh, uh, I was just really impressed with his, uh, with his competency and, uh, you know, the, um, the, the challenges that he faced every day of taking care of so many different things. And this was, you know, growing up in the 60s and the 70s, this was before the age of the specialty explosion that was brought on by Medicare. And, uh, you know, family docs did take care of most of the stuff. And uh, eventually that's what attracted me to go to the Mizzou uh, Family Medicine Residency because they taught you to take care of most of the stuff. And unfortunately that, uh, that is missing from a lot of training programs these days. But uh, really 
it, it's a decision to be a, a primary care doctor is to wade in a very big pool that's about three feet deep. And then uh, um, when you need to go on the deep end, that's when you go get your specialist because they're the people that really like to dive. Mm. I like to swim. <laughs> and so for, for you, um, as you, you grew up um, influenced by a family doctor, did you, um, and growing up with brothers and sisters, sounds like your, your mom and dad were, were blue collar, white collar, kind of work. What lessons about money did you pick up along the way as you were growing up? Well, that is an excellent question. And uh, really, the, uh, the journey that I took was, you know, uh, money is a uh, servant. It is uh, not a master. And money is a tool that gets you to live the life that you want, as opposed to uh, end in of itself. And uh, I really received that lesson uh, on multiple channels from multiple uh, influences in my life. Uh, you know, Dr. King was a family doctor, um, but he wasn't especially affluent. Um, you know, he didn't live in the richest part of town. He went to the same church as we are. We did went to the same ball games. I mean, uh, you know, there was not a, a huge differential in terms of, uh, of lifestyle between him and uh, my family. Um, and in fact, he kept telling us about, you know, how we were wealthier than he was because, uh, you know, we, he, my father and mother had so many more children than he did. Children are indeed the only true wealth in the world. And uh, um, so the lesson that I learned is, is that money is a servant, not a master. And uh, it has, a, a, it is very impressive how rare, uh, increasingly rare that uh, lesson is, uh, uh, learned by my younger peers that are coming out of training. That, that whole part of their life has been absolutely neglected uh, by their training programs and uh, uh, really, uh, they're really suffering consequences from it. So tell me more. What, what do you mean by that? Well, um, the idea is that, that I brought, I mean, I, I, I risk sounding like an old fuddy-duddy, and I don't really mean to frame it that way, but it's an important question. I mean, I, the, the typical medical student when I went was really uh, bifurcated into two. There were the people who came from medicine whose parents were wealthier and who could buy them a condo to stay in for four years and then resell the condo. And then there were people who took on debt to pay for their medical school, and we lived extraordinarily frugally. And uh, at the end of the day, you realize that every dollar that you borrow probably costs uh, maybe four and a half dollars over time uh, to pay back. And uh, uh, you increasingly realize that, uh, um, that the servant, that you're in danger of your servant becoming your master and forcing you into making life decisions that you would otherwise not make. And you know those were sensibilities that I learned along the way, but I had a pretty strong foundation uh, going into debt and going into medical school. Whereas today, you know, the, the medical student that lives extraordinarily frugally—I mean, I'm talking about ramen noodle frugally. Um, uh, my my roommate and I—he was going through law school, I went through medical school. We're both in the same situation, and uh, we basically ate ramen, you know, five six days a week. Um, you know, I, I knew my wife was going to stick with me because uh, when we dated in medical school, she ate ramen with me. She didn't uh, <laughs> insist on having a Cadillac taste. 
So uh, nowadays, that's that's vanishingly rare, Dave. Most people are using their borrowed money to finance what can only be what can only be described as a lavish lifestyle. I mean, I hate to say that, but if you go and look at all the all the perks and the and the and the quality of the housing and the amount of eating out um, that you see in professional students and even medical residents. Um, you, you want to shake them by the collar and say, you know, that, that $4 latte actually costs you $20 over the next 35 years. Don't drink it. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's tough for that realization to come into focus. And then at the end of their training, that is if they get into a residency, then they realize how trapped they are. And uh, uh, one of my uh, service lines is I take care of uh, clinicians who are looking for career transitions, either into non-traditional or non-clinical uh, uh, careers. And the stories are depressingly similar. They're being trapped by debt, uh, the stresses and the life decisions that's that forced on him. Uh, it's incredibly sad. And uh, you know, I have gone from taking care of patients, which I did for 25 years, to taking care of my peers, because they're the ones that really need the first responders these days. Mm. Well, certainly I, I agree with you that some of our habits um, cost us cost us a lot of money. Um, it, so it sounds like you get out of residency, you started a, a practice and um, tell us about that. You know, you, and you had some student debt, it sounded like when you, I, when you I came was, out. I was very much crushed by student debt. I mean, I had almost $330,000. That's a ton of money uh, back in 1994. Back in 1995, that that is, and that was even with living frugally. Uh, part of that was uh, uh, that I decided to go to a master's degree, but part of it is the first part of my uh, undergraduate. I was I was I was ignorant, um, and, and you know I, I own all that. Plus, I had to take most of my student loans, in, uh, most of my financial aid in the form of loans. Uh, so there, I was married and uh, had a four-day-old uh, child, and uh, you know. Uh, everybody wanted me coming out of residency. I was a family physician, uh, board certified, the whole line, everybody wanted me. And I was very fortunate that I uh, uh, connected with a very small single specialty uh, family medicine group in, uh, in rural Missouri outside of uh, St. Louis. And we uh, connected about the same time as we, uh, we signed uh, one of the very first total risk Medicare Advantage contracts that was ever offered anywhere. And uh, back then, nobody knew what value-based care was or any of that stuff. So we really sat down and, and just, just tore that contract apart, learned how it worked, and then uh, uh, applied the lessons. And 18 years later, we sold uh, the multi-specialty group health system that we created to a regional competitor for $132 million. And uh, you know, I throw out the number there to impress the business people. But what's really impressive is the fact that for those 18 years, I got to practice in a small town as the town doctor with as much autonomy as you can expect uh, in a wonderful way. It was the fulfillment of every dream I wanted to have as being, being a physician. And it was made possible by the structure of these total risk contracts back then uh, because it was all on me. And my patients loved it. I loved it. I had a wonderful, wonderful time. And so, you know, when uh, healthcare reform was passed and the visibility for the Medicare Advantage program kind of darkened a little bit, 
uh, we, uh, we converted our, our business and uh, I decided to uh, uh, teach, uh, mentor other clinicians, other organizations, other some of the new Medicare Advantage insurance uh, companies into the lessons that we've learned. And um, Dave, along this along that line, I really met a lot of clinicians across the country that were just in terrible shape. And uh, that's where I uh, um, started to develop tools to help them uh, at least have a chance at the type of life that I led. Uh, I, I really felt that I was very fortunate. You, you, you make your own luck, but I was also very fortunate. I met a lot of people that just never had the opportunities that I did. So I'm paying that forward by helping clinicians do that uh, in a variety of ways, using a variety of tools. So as, as we walk back um, to, to the beginning, one of our past guests, uh, Pamela Weibel, a physician as well, she really... Um, puts an emphasis in starting small community-based practices. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like that's kind of where, where you started out and, and then you combined and, and grew um, with usually an emphasis on, on cash or whatever. Like she, she doesn't even have any, any um, nurses or physician um, assistants or, you know, n- none of that stuff, you know, it's just her in, in the office. And um, she emphasized, you know, low overhead, small, tiny little spaces, um, stuff like that in terms of, of running running a practice in order for people to gain gain back their freedom um, I'm curious to know in um, in lieu of of how you started um, how hard or easy is it to start a practice like you did back 26 years ago well, at the time there, Dave, Medicare Advantage was really the only third-party payer program that offered the potential for return on your investment in time in excess of the real rate of inflation. Fee-for-service, that was the middle of the HMO boom, all those things, they, they really were simply schemes to crack down on clinician compensation and to hold that compensation below the real rate of inflation. So at that time, Medicare Advantage was pretty much the only game in town, and I was fortunate that my partners found that out. Uh, however, um, Pamela is uh, is right in that it really you really have to start at the local level because the value that you create as a clinician is not in your pen, it's not in your prescription pad, it's in the relationships that you develop over time. Uh, with your patients. Um, the current model of healthcare delivery, uh, Dave, is very industrial, where we clinicians are on the assembly line and the patient kind of comes down the, uh, comes down the uh, uh, assembly line track and we do our thing. And if for some reason we decide we want to do something else, it's the next man up and they just keep on doing it. Everything is very much in the uh, Japanese uh, Six Sigma high quality model. And that is adaptive to certain portions of healthcare, especially in the procedural realm. But, uh, but really, um, it really loses or causes a leakage of value between the patient and, and the doctor. It really makes the doctor, the clinician, nurse practitioner, PA, become a commodity. And you know, after you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in your youth, uh, if you want to allow yourself to be commoditized, well, that's your choice. There are some benefits to that, but you have to make a conscious choice. Otherwise, you'll be upset. By cultivating relationships, therapeutic relationships, 
that is the way that you transform yourself from a commodity into uh, something special. And, uh, and that was one of the benefits of these Medicare Advantage contracts is it allowed me to generate value personally, uh, financially from those deep relationships where I knew those patients and I knew how to take care of them best. Whereas the fee for service, it's pretty much just patient touches. So for a young clinician who may not have access to the Medicare Advantage system, which is, let's, is, is kind of getting commoditized in itself, uh, the way that you can best monetize your, uh, your expertise and your investment in yourself uh, is to set yourself in a situation where you can benefit or gain from those deep relationships. And the nice part about getting that advantage, Dave, is the fact that only some of that gain is financial. Uh, you know, compensation is more than just dollar bills. And you know, let's face it, they're printing dollar bills by the trillions, so you can't even begin to keep up. Compensation is fulfillment, is living the life that you want to live. And uh, those deep relationships that you will have with your patients will pay off for you in ways that you can't even possibly imagine. The trick is, is to get yourself in that position despite having hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt uh, around your neck. And there are tactics that you can use to, to deal with that. You just have to change your mindset and understand what it is you want uh, instead of uh, living somebody else's dream. So I want to go back to, to your journey. So you have $300,000 in student debt. Mm -hmm. How did you make it? You know, because if someone's in a similar situation, which is not unusual today, two hundred to four hundred thousand dollars of student debt is something I see a lot in today's world for a lot of young physicians. How are you going to make it if you want to hang out your shingle and and start your own practice? Well, for me personally, first of all, you're giving me a little PTSD even as I think about it because I was having back then the the uh, interest rates were eight percent. Yeah, I mean, I had one that was nine point five percent. Uh, and so, uh, and my first employment contract was $90,000 guaranteed. That was my first employment contract. So that, you know, half of my money was going to my loan. So the first thing you got to do is marry the right person. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my, that, that every success that I have comes from that. I, I wouldn't be talking to you now if that wasn't that. Beyond that though, it was simply living frugally, uh, identifying where I could generate additional revenue under my employment contract and then going for it. Mm. And uh, really, uh, I put myself on the treadmill for seven years until the first big payday from uh, Medicare Advantage. And let me tell you something, every nickel, every dime, every penny went to paying that principal, every cent. The only thing that I splurged on was on a personal disability policy. Uh, and, uh, aside from that, um, everything, every, every, every nickel. And, uh, it right now it's really paying off. I still have peers that are paying off their student loans. Sure. I have peers that were doing just as well as I was financially within our practice and they're still in debt. I can't believe it. Um, so that the key there is you got to pay down debt for doctors today. You, what this requires is a, a gimlet eye. This requires, uh, uh, a heartless uh, examination of your financial position. And if you are unable to separate yourself from that, then you have to have somebody do it for you um, with an eye. How can I get out of this debt as quickly as possible? Now, that doesn't mean that you have to live the next five to seven years as a monk. 
there has to be sustainable and the plan has to be sustainable but you have to realize that debt is slavery and um uh when the student loan forgivenesses start coming down the pack us doctors are going to be so far down the line to get any relief that you won't even be able to see the horizon so you can't be counting on that you gotta do some simple simple tactics and and the one thing is, is that as you come out, you have to surrender your first three to five years thinking that you're a hired gun. Um, you have to go into your relationship with your employer as if you're an employee, because that's how they see you. So you go and you negotiate the very best uh, um, uh, student loan repayment that you can and, uh, and the limited, the shortest period of your, your, your uh, uh, contract. And then the moment that's done, you try to get more repayment from them. And if you don't, you go someplace else. There's plenty of people willing to give you student loan repayment because there's, they get some tax benefits and, and there are grants out there to, to help them pay for that particular benefit to you. And you work for two to five years with nothing else focused as your primary compensation is that student loan payout. And by the time that you are done uh, in that time, you will have uh, the freedom to live the life that you want. And uh, I tell you, when people are listening to this, the, some of them are throwing stuff at the, uh, at the, at the uh, speaker because they say, you know, I've been putting off my consumption for so long. You know, I, I want to enjoy myself. I'll be 40 before I get them paid off and whatnot. And all I can tell you is, look, um, that's, uh, that's part of the deal. And uh, as, as harsh as it is uh, working in that way for five years to uh, achieve relief from your uh, dischargeable debt, Trust me, it's even worse being there when you're 60 and you have to make those payments. This so, is true. This so is true. You, you have to create a sustainable life for yourself with the sole focus of, of getting up from under your debt because the debt uh, decreases your ability to make choices and not just for yourself, but for your patients. That's, those are all wonderful advice for those of us that are in residency or just transitioned to practice, or even if you're a medical student listening to that. I think those are all wonderful words of wisdom and advice to go back and listen to in case you didn't catch it the, the first time. So I'd love to know, Tom, um, as, as you, you really live lean and mean, you got rid of your debt, all of a sudden you get this big payday. What do you do? Do you, do you pay off your house? Do you go on vacation? Do you, what, what did you do with, with a, a windfall of money, which I know obviously all $132 million weren't, weren't all yours and certainly you had to pay a lot of taxes on um, such a thing. Um, what did you do? How'd you celebrate? Well, well, what did I do to celebrate? Well, um, my son and I uh, went down to uh, New Orleans for the weekend. We drove down to New Orleans. We went to the World War II Museum. That was fun. Um, but uh, really I paid off my mortgage. And uh, um, I fully funded all of my investment vehicles that I had and, uh, and really just, uh, and then put the rest in a, uh, a dividend uh, generate mutual fund um, because uh, part, of my, um, part of the sales agreement was a personal service agreement with the people that, uh, that we merged with. And uh, I, I had a little nagging suspicion in the back of my mind that uh, I probably wasn't a good fit, but uh, um, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to save some, save some cash. Um, and I tell you, Dave, during that time, uh, I developed burnout because I wasn't in a, uh, I wasn't a good fit. I mean, I still earned, I still did very well. Um, but, uh, um, I wasn't fulfilled at all. 
think the, the stress was wearing me down. So uh, one of the things that uh, I needed to do is spend a little money on myself. So I leased a Mercedes and I found that that was worth more, that was more trouble than it was worth. <laughs> and uh, um, my primary uh, indulgence during all this time was family vacations. We went on a lot of family RV and family vacations. And uh, Favorite spots. Home. Give me your top three. Top three. Um, yeah. We went up the East Coast, uh, uh, Philadelphia, New York City, Boston. Nice. And uh, we went uh, out west to uh, the um, uh, to the Black Hills. Mm. Um, and uh, um, so we home since we homeschooled our kids, we we took advantage of that. So that was our big uh, in, that was our big those indulgence. Black Hills is great. Actually, we're um, we're planning on going to Colorado, driving from Minnesota out to Colorado this this summer, depending on how things look with um, with COVID and everything. But um, they're going to stop through the Badlands and the Black Hills if if we are able to. So driving the backcountry, it's uh, it's wonderful. It's beautiful. That's great. That's great. So for um, physicians that have been practicing for a while. In today's world where we've all of a sudden been forced into telemedicine with the, the coronavirus and, and elective surgeries and procedures have totally um, been, been not able to happen until, for many cases just recently, in some cases perhaps not yet, depending upon where, where a physician is located. What are, what are your observations with coronavirus and thoughts as, as you see um, perhaps some clinicians that are busier than they have ever been uh, and other ones that have had virtually no work. Well, first of all, we're going to see a resurgence in the discipline of infectious diseases, and that's wonderful. I've, I've always been worried about my ID colleagues because they are a specialist specialty without a procedure, and therefore they're dramatically undercompensated and uh, don't uh, don't have a lot of roles, and now every every company, every corporation on the planet is going to be looking for ID people to indemnify them against uh, against lawsuits. So good for you infectious disease guys out there. Uh, but in general, the demand destruction of uh, healthcare has really um, revealed the rot inside our healthcare delivery system. Uh, essentially. Uh, healthcare delivery uh, is a lost leader to the large health systems that dominate the space. They make their money from commercial real estate appreciation through the foot traffic that we clinicians drive and through leveraging our credibility to extract patient information from our patients and then putting it in an electronic health record for those health systems to uh, resell either uh, bundled, which is perfectly legal, or unbundled, which is tremendously illegal, but uh, I would be stunned if it wasn't going on. That's where their service line is. It's very much a financialized industry. And uh, as such, uh, you know, from an employed clinician standpoint, we really don't bring a lot of value to the organization except for credibility. So uh, when uh, uh, people decided they don't want to partake of our credibility, uh, Dave, where our value to that organization plummeted. And uh, uh, aside from a few service lines that actually make a margin, they, they really are experimenting now with how little of us, how little of our credibility they can get away with and still maintain their service lines. And that is a very open question. And I think that you're going to find an enormous amount of consolidation in the industry 
uh, in the delivery industry over the next 36 months. More consolidation date leads to less demand for our services as employed clinicians. And uh, that really means that the days of us cruising on our license, cruising on our uh, guild status uh, is really over. Uh, as a clinician, you could still make a very nice living, especially compared to most folks. But if you want to generate a the, the return similar to what you generated in the past, especially if you want to try to exceed the real rate of inflation in terms of your revenue growth, it is on you. And you are going to have to come up with ways yourself to monetize your, your expertise. And that's the biggest, uh, that's the biggest lesson. Before COVID, uh, physicians were closed in on a one in 10,000 uh, uh, a, a year suicide risk. We were very unhappy. 50% uh, of us were looking to get out of the profession in five years. But we were still willing, for the most part, to partake of the deal. And the deal, Dave, was you pay us a, a good amount of money on a regular basis, and we will pretty much do what you tell us. Mm. That was the deal six months ago. Now, that amount of money is not quite as good, and the stability of that paycheck is not quite what it was. And um, the uh, PPE issue uh, really has unveiled that our personal safety really isn't a priority to these health systems, uh, especially if it costs some money. So we are now come face to face, at, at least for another six months or so, with the undeniable fact uh, that we are basically uh, auto workers without union protection. And it's going to take a while for us to rebuild our image and get used to the new normal. But during that time, during the time that uh, now that we're, we're getting used to or, or looking at what that new story means, uh, the people that really want to create a life of freedom uh, that in which their wages can exceed the real rate of inflation and they, they can practice the way they want, it's on them now. You got to go out and you got to look at different revenue streams to, um, to monetize your experience and your credentials. And that sounds crass, but that's what you got to do. You got to reserve few, some of it for patient care. But the good news, Dave, is once you as a clinician, as an MD, as an NP, as a DO, once you step outside of this tightly regulated system in which we uh, are used to selling our medical care, our experience and our credentials are worth way more than you can even believe. And not only can you make more money than you think, you can live a life that you never thought was possible. And that is the one lesson I would like every licensed professional listening to this right now to understand. We are so used to being uh, selling into a controlled regulated market where the people who pay us are demanding more and more are demanding more and more in exchange for less and less compensation that we can't even see over the ruts anymore. We're so deep in climb out of the ruts, look around, take a chance, apply all of the energy that got you to where you are now. And you will be astonished at how much value you can create for yourself and your patients and at the quality of the life that you can lead. So if I'm, if I'm understanding you right, it's um, what, what you're suggesting is maybe at, if we go back towards the earlier in the interview, essentially you would emphasize to physicians, get rid of your student debt as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. And then um, if you're feeling burned out, if you're feeling not appreciated, 
maybe you should think about starting your own practice or doing locums or something where you gain back your, your time freedom to work when you want, how you want. Am I understanding that right, Tom? Or am I missing something here? No, you are. There, there are so many paths forward for you. Uh, but overwork and socialization with some gaslighting has really uh, taught the lesson psychologically that, you know, there's really no other way forward except the treadmill. Um, that uh, um, you, it really takes very little effort to begin to be able to see the potential out there as far as uh, um, how you can live your life. Dave, most of the burnout that, that I deal with comes from mismatch between the story that the person tells themselves about being a doctor and the story they're actually living. And the way to live a fulfilling life is to put both of those stories in the same context, to bring both of those stories together so you can tell yourself you're living a great life and actually live a great life. And that's different for different people. I, I work with a, a, a phenomenal uh, young clinician who uh, opted out of the clinical biz early and she has monetized, she's built her community of 10,000, she's got 10,000 true fans and she's built her community and she uh, helps those folks and she makes as much money as the average family physician every year. And that's what she does. She's aligned with her true self and she used her credibility to do that. Uh, I help clinicians create and run their own telemedicine practice as an independent contractor. And the doctors who took me up on that before COVID are now singing, you know, singing my praises and singing praises of the life. Um, you know, consulting, speaking. I mean, there are just any number of ways forward and you don't have to excel at any one. You just build yourself a stack of multiple different revenue streams and you can get out from your life, but you got to take that first step, Dave. You can't accept the story that you're being told because we uh, in the employed, in the employed space, we are auto workers without the union protection. And uh, um, if you go forward and continue to be poorly treated, have your life put at risk, have your hours and your compensation cut, um, knowing that you're allowed to be angry about it, but you're not allowed to be surprised. And it's completely up to you to take, to, to take, uh, to take a step out from that. I love it. No, I think all, all good advice. And I think there's, there's a lot of, a lot of great benefits I can think of to owning your own practice. Number one, of course, is, is, um, at least to a degree time freedom. You know, you get to decide when you work, how you work, obviously you still have to pay the bills and things like that still come up. So, so, uh, you can't just, um, do a four hour work week, perhaps like Tim Ferriss might suggest. Um, but, um, you certainly can, can work when you want, how you want, um, at least, at least to a degree. Um, the, the, key, uh, and, the, the key is just what Pam said, which is you got to keep your overhead low, 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 low. And then you got to push your price based on the, on the value you generate. And both of those things are things that physicians have a lot of problems with. But, uh, but the markets are out there. And the system, practicing within the system is making you sick, Dave. You, you got you to gotta practice outside or accept sickness. There really is just no third choice. So what do you think are the cons? Uh, I think there's a lot of pros to think about, whether it's tax benefits, you know, you decide what your benefits are going to be, um, whether retirement plans or, or whatever. I mean, there's so many great things about having your own practice. What do you think are some of the cons? What, what certainly not everybody is cut out to do this. So who, who is good for starting a practice and who is not good for having their own practice? 
well, you know, six months ago, I would have asked, answered this question differently. I mean, mm. I, six months ago, I would have said, you know, people who really just want a steady paycheck, they want to go to work and they want to come home. Um, you know, th those are the people that, uh, you know, really employment is uh, appropriate for. And in my practice, the one that we sold, we had a track for doctors who just didn't want to be owners. I mean, it's not for everybody. And, and I don't want the people listening to this to despair that, uh, you know, that there's just, there's, there's just nothing else. I have to own my own practice or else, you know, I'm going to die young or commit suicide. There are tons of other employed positions where you're not on the clinical treadmill. And for those folks, you know, those positions are great. I talk to people working in the life insurance industry. Um, you know, there are certain positions in the health insurance industry that you can perform without selling your soul. Um, there are tons of different employed positions for MDs, DOs, even NPs um, that don't that allow you to punch a clock and uh, have a much steadier paycheck than uh, employed clinical medicine. Uh, but the message here is, is that employed clinical medicine um, is really uh, is really a bad deal for clinicians, and uh, uh, it it really. I, I think it should be considered abuse, except in uh, in a, a very few targeted situations, Dave. So if you're not the type of person you want to own something, you don't feel comfortable taking financial risk, and in this day and age, you know, who am I to argue? Um, then start looking at some non-clinical employed positions and volunteer at a uh, at a uh, go and volunteer at a mission or or uh, you know do volunteer work to to scratch your clinical bug. Uh, but as an employed clinician, um, your wages are going to be, uh, are going to lag. You're, you're going to have a more non-clinical tasks demanded of you. And uh, you're going to be constantly gaslighted about uh, how little value that you create. And Dave, life is too short to live that, that way. It's just too short. And uh, uh, the, the doctor who wants to live a fulfilling life really has to start looking outside the, uh, the employed uh, Clinic, clinical employed uh, um, platform. So people, if uh, people want to get a hold of you, Tom, what um, what's going to be the best way? You know, maybe they're interested in starting their own practice. Maybe they want to talk to you about some of your experience with selling out to other practices. Uh, what's going to be the best way to get a hold of you and talk more? Well, you can email me at uh, Tom at TomDavisConsulting.com. Uh, uh, I, I also work with a, another gentleman named John Jericho, who's very uh, a physician, who's very prominent in the uh, non-clinical career transition space. And, and we've created a forum that will allow clinicians to connect with uh, mentors uh, who specialize in helping clinicians in transitions. The forum is called cliniciancooperative.com. Uh, has all the benefits of uh, you know of a, of a social media group with none of the drawbacks, and it's very private. And uh, so I urge people to go check that out. Uh, there's a free site period after you sign up so you can, you can see if it's for you. And uh, really, uh, um, you can also connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, the reason that I'm doing this, though, Dave, is to, is to let folks know that uh, it's completely in their power to change their life. They just have to do it. Mm. There you go, my friends. Just do it. Uh, well, my friends, that wraps up another episode for today of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast. Remember, remember to slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle.